20th chapter of the book of Exodus uh, after we have a word of prayer. Um, I'm going to go through um, some of these uh, people saying, well, you got to do about seven chapters of uh, a week to um, get through the Bible in seven years. Um, you know what? Um, a lot of this is going to be repetitive. There are huge chunks of Numbers and Deuteronomy and um, Leviticus that I will not have to do anything with because we've done it in Exodus. Um, I, I may bring up, it's mentioned again, but there's huge chunks that I will not have to spend much time with. I mean, and I'm talking massive blocks. You're going to run into that in First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles also, is that there's a lot of it is repetitive. If I hit it hard and heavy on the first time, then when I touch it again, it's just boom, boom, get the tape. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but, so people say, well, you know, you're getting, listen, this is the law of the Lord. And the other thing that we're not, we don't, for whatever reason, um, you know, God is not changing. He, he doesn't change. And, and, and if this is the first time he sets down criteria, okay? Uh, and if you're really honest with yourself, there is no nation Israel. So he's, it's a family. Okay. I mean, if, if you want to be honest about it, it's just a family and they don't have a nation. He said he's going to make them a nation. Uh, and so now he's got to try to help them become a nation. And then we'll deal with that a little more this evening. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, um, help us, help us and at times when we look at your word and we think it's mundane or it's repetitive to Father to understand that you're getting a point across. That Father, it is you revealing yourself to your creation. Uh, help us, Lord, that uh, there's times when we look at this, um, it, uh, it bores us. And Father, how awful that is. And Lord, yet you give us this text. You give us your word uh, as, as, as the measuring rod, as the pathway, as the light, uh, as the direction that we need uh, for everything. And yet, Father, I go through this and the simplicity of it is what is so awesome to me. And Father, I just ask now that uh, you would teach us. Uh, Father, you would help us. You would help us to hear. And Father, you'd help us to grow to your glory and to your praise. Amen. Okay, chapter 19 is setting the stage. And, and I don't want to ever downplay chapter 19. A lot of times we jump into the 20 and, and when we want the Ten Commandments and the sacrifices and all the rest of it. But you need to understand something that the people were called to the foot of Mount Sinai and were given two days to consecrate themselves for the appearance uh, going into the presence of the Lord on the third day. Okay, and we really need to understand this because think about what's, what is happening. He's given them the word. He's given them the word, a thing that we call the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Okay, do I consecrate myself? When am I, I prepared to go into the word of God? Because I know we don't take two days and get ready. So, uh, I mean, we, we have, um, we have drive up churches. I heard about a church in Southern California that has little speakers. You can drive up and get a sermon and, and, and all the rest of it. I thought that'd be kind of novel. So, um, interesting to, to see that. But I, 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 I want us to think about it is that, you know, we set our mind to God. God is calling Israel, come hear me. Set yourself prepared to hear me. Uh, and, and Israel's a little bit, you know, he says, oh, by the way, if even an animal comes up on the mountain while I'm on it, it must be put to death. And, and you're sitting there going, well, this is kind of serious. Yeah. 
It is very serious. And I am convinced that one of the greatest banes that exist in our churches today is that we don't take this serious. Uh, it's sort of like, well, God was just really grumpy in the Old Testament. God doesn't change. His holiness is still His holiness. So here's what happens. Verse 1, Yahweh, God, spoke all of these words. Now, this is amazing stuff because He's giving um, the Ten Commandments. And what's amazing, this is so funny, because uh, a lot of people, um, if you study history in um the Middle East at the time of this, the Egyptian Empire, uh, the, the Arabs were warring tribes. But um, when, when I, I see this kind of stuff, <clears throat> you see laws written. But all the laws that were written, whether it's Egyptian or Philistines or the Canaanites or the Hittites, um, they're all written in what is called second purpose, second person. Okay, uh, it, it's a um, it, it's what they call case law. If this, then this. Okay, um, this is written third person. Okay, and they're command and precepts. And they're given in a way that says, I am, I will. And, and that's, uh, it's, um, you know, uh, so many, here's the offense and here's the action that needs to be taken in light of this offense. Okay, you look at our laws, they're written that way. Okay, um, that's not the way God said it. It's not the way God said it. God speaking to the nation, and he says, God spoke all of these things. Okay, so there's no room in there for human, human interdiction. All right, I, I, I watch people, and they try to tell me what happened with Israel is that they had kind of were this migratory people, and they just grabbed a little bit of this guy's law and some of the Hittite stuff is kind of cool. I'm going to go over here and grab the, some of the Egyptian stuff and do it and all the rest of it. And that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Why? First reason is what I just give you. way it was written. way it was written. Okay? Um, but when you look at it, you have verses 2 through 11... And then 12 through 17, and it's two categories of law in the Decalogue, in the Ten Commandments. What I call vertical and horizontal. All right? And it's all encompassing. And I don't see man coming up with this kind of stuff. We are, we like words. We do. I, look at why we write stuff. All right? 2 through 11 is man's relationship to God. 12 through 17 is man's relationship to man. All right? And I find it fascinating that God condenses this in 10 laws. And you know what? You can't improve on it. You really don't need any more. And that's fascinating to me. Um... In Ten Commandments, I get true theology. In Ten Commandments, I get true worship. In Ten Commandments, I get the name of God. I get the Sabbath. I get family honor. I get life. I get marriage. I get um, property. Um, I get truth. And it's all protected. All in Ten Commandments. That's amazing to me. Here's what he says. I am Yahweh, your Jehovah. That's how it's written. Now, watch what he does. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? Okay. He says, I want to roll this thing together so you understand. All right. How important this is. How important is it? Verse 3. 
you'll have no other gods before me. Why? You're, the other gods didn't bring you out of slavery. The other gods didn't deliver you. I delivered you. I delivered you. All right? Now remember, they've already consecrated themselves. They want to hear what God said. We will listen to what you say, and we will do what you say. And the word there that you see before me uh, literally means over against me. All right? And what he's saying is all false gods stand in opposition to the true God. And you can't mix them. You cannot mix deities. You cannot mix religions. You cannot mix uh Patterns or methods of worship, you can't do it. Why? Because they stand against the true living God. All right? You see it in Judges, Judges chapter 17 and Judges chapter 18, that when they start blending these things together, all they get is confusion. What do you see today? It's confusion. Look at the church today. It's confused. The church is absolutely confused. She doesn't even know what she does. I I was going through uh, for tomorrow's message and looking at it, and and it dawned on me, I wonder how many people really know what the church is for. What is the church for? And if you want to know, you'll have to be here tomorrow. Uh -uh. Ain't that one of them baiting things? I don't know what that is. Okay, but it's it's so important that we understand who he is, why he does what he does. All right. And anytime I take any other religion, any other kind of mysticism, man, I see stuff today that is as silly as the day is long. And we're trying to blend it in with Christianity. And I look at the church and she is confused. And God says, you won't have anything else there because it stands in opposition to me. Verses four through six now gives us what I call the fashion of worship. Now let's read the verses. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in the heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the water underneath the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I am Yahweh, your God. I am a jealous God visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of now look what the phrase is of those who what hate me do you understand he is forbidding any attempt to rep uh, to, to represent him By the use of anything he made. Did you get that? I made it and you will not use it to represent me. Okay. That's what an idol is. You won't use it. You see the little statues or pray to this dead relative or pray to this saint dude or this statue of this or this thing here or this little. No, you will not use my creation and make it a representative of me. Do you do you understand why he says that I made it? It didn't make me. I made it and you will not use it to make it a representative of me. And that's what he's saying. And then he gets very specific here and people start going, "Uh oh, listen, I want you to understand something. Israel, most of you know of the Babylonian captivity from the Babylonian captivity to to date. Israel has never sought other gods. They always flirted with it. The reason God wanted Israel to remove all of the people who lived in the land that he was giving them was why? They were all pagans. They all worshiped multiple gods. All right, every one of them. And he says, you go in there and you kill them all. Why? You can't handle their influence. I guarantee it. And guess what? They couldn't. They could not handle the influence. They couldn't handle it. And he says here, 
you shall not worship them or serve them for I am Lord your God and I'm a jealous God and I will the, visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children. Okay, what he's getting at here, now I've watched everybody say, oh my God, my father sinned, therefore I am going to get punished. And it's not what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16, and Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 19 through 32. This thing here is alive and well today in America, what is being stated here. When the parents violate the worship of God, who copies it? And it gets worse to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. You know what? People ask me, so, well, what's your stance on abortion? I've never had one, but I've never been pregnant. Um, it's against the Bible. I mean, what do you mean? What is my stance? Well, why don't you protest it? You know what the biggest protest needs to be done? Why didn't the church say something in 1967? That, that, I, I don't care how they got it in. The church knows the truth. The church didn't make a peep. It's law. It's law. Do you understand that? The sin ain't the fact that we have legalized abortion in America. The sin is the church just stood there. And they didn't say nothing. And now they're all running around screaming. I can't believe it. I didn't hear any screaming when they wanted to take prayer out of the school. Why? Nobody said a word. That's the sin. That's the sin, people. And it gets passed on. And it gets passed on. The, you know, I can watch this country. This was a God-fearing country until the conclusion of World War II. And we came out as the superpower. We came out with the ability to do anything we want to do. Right? And we don't even need the church anymore to the point that the federal government took over humanitarian aid. Up until that point, who took care of humanitarian aid? The church did. And you know what? They were extremely good at it. Is the government? But I try to get people to understand that when we came out of that. Now that's two generations. Let me ask you a question. Look at the church today. Tell me the spiritual condition that you see. And tell me what does it manifest? Idolatry. We don't call it idolatry anymore. It's addictions. I have a problem. I have a mental something. You know, I'm bipolar or I'm an equator or something. I don't know. Manic depressant. I think those are both the same. Uh, you know, I have all these issues. You don't understand it. You know, I, I, I heard it said, well, this guy lies all the time. I think they're bipolar. No, they're a liar. <laughs> but do you see what I'm trying to get at? All of a sudden, what? And now we roll it down the path, and we're how many generations out? How great is the iniquity? I mean, did I tell you guys about the guy, the blind Russian guy that they were going to kick out of church for cussing? He was using profanity. He said, well, I haven't cussed in a week. And I'm saying, this guy's blind. Got saved in prison. Was an alcoholic. Awful. And they said, but do we not serve a holy God? And does not out of the mouth speak the heart? I'm sitting there going, this guy's blind. You're going to kick him out of the church? He says, are we not to maintain the purity of the church? I mean, think about it. You're not allowed to date in the church in Russia. They don't care how old you are. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've... Wait a minute. Is it? Is it?
Why do we all of a sudden, well, that sounds like legalism. No, it sounds like people who care enough to protect the sanctity of marriage. When you see that the divorce rate in the pastorate is the same as any profession, huh? What? Yeah. Why? Because we don't protect it. It's just something we go and do. And that's when you read this here. He says, you shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquities of the father on the children and the third and the fourth generation. What is he saying here? He says, once you start down that slippery slope, it's like trying to turn the Titanic. You will get it back. But look how long the Babylonian captivity was. 70 years. Almost two generations. And they had to bring it back. And then the crazy buggers within five years had quit going to the temple. And God says, do I need to come down there? That's not exactly how he said it. But he says, you panel your houses. You hang curtains in your houses. You have nice houses. And my house sets vacant. I who brought you out of captivity of Babylon. Yeah, I see us doing it over and over. Okay, it's clear. I Please understand, it's clear that the scripture teaches that the children are not punished but for the sins of the fathers. Here's what he is saying. If you slack, it's, it's like, have you ever watched, uh, they're going to learn this, um, Matt and Shan's going to learn this. You're going to be, you're going to go through the phases. You want the baby to roll over and then you want the baby to crawl. Then you want the baby to walk and then you want the baby to go back to crawling. No, uh, but you're going to the whole time. You're going to want the first words. What will be the first words? And you want mama or dada or whatever you end up with. And, and then you try to get, you'll sit there for hours on mama, dada, mama, dada, and trying to get it to do say something and it just sits there and looks like god you're goofy but uh but you'll try to do it and you'll work at it and you'll work at it and you'll try to help this kid t- talk and talk and talk and and it just like times it just can't, can't ever get a sentence together i don't know what's gonna happen say one profane word and ask yourself how's come that quick kid pick that word up back fast use one cuss word and that kid will repeat that before you can even get it out your mouth How's come that is? But you can say, Mom, I'm a dad, dad, and then just look at you. You think I'm kidding? I got three. I watched them. You say one, and it, there it comes, echo. Great. You ain't supposed to be listening. <laughs> okay. Why? Because it's passed on to the generations, to the generations, to the generations. And what happens is, if I am slacking my worship, the next generation will be worse and then the generation after that will be twice as bad. I mean, we were a God-fearing, church-going country until World War II. And we were in church during World War II. We were praying. We didn't know how that was. this bugger was going to come out. Okay? But after that, the generation that came out didn't go to church. Why? Because look what we did. We accomplished this. We got the jet airplanes and atomic bombs and all kinds of really cool stuff now. Uh, my parents didn't go to church. Why should I? And, and you know, within twenty years, I've been in Colorado almost thirty years. I moved out to Colorado and I was told, uh, I was going through some tough stuff and some people kept saying, well, why don't you go to church? Find your church and go to church. Okay. You know what? You can't say that now. I, there's churches out there I don't want people to go to. And there's more that I don't want you to go to than there are to go, go to. And that happened in 20 years. So in 10 more years, what will it be like? All right. Listen, the children would feel um, the impact of breaking God's laws, of being disobedient. 
by their parents, they will feel the impact. Um, what I want you to look at there, look at the end of the verse 5. Fourth generations of what? Those who hate me. Anytime I worship something else, guess what? I say I hate God. Listen, if your actions are not obedient to God, then what he's saying is you hate me. Listen, you don't want him to be your enemy. You don't want him to be your enemy. And there, let's be realistic. There are natural consequences to hating God. Okay? See, children raised in that environment will practice the similar idolatry to a more intense degree. And what they will do is that they will express a hateful disobedience to God. And so the text here, yes, it's a warning, but it's also motivation. Because it takes several generations to reverse it. All right? Then what does he say? <clears throat> but he says, I show, he shows loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and what? Keep my commandments. Okay, what is he going to show him? If I love him and keep his commandments, what does he give me? His loving kindness. Okay, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Now, I used to think that this was just cussing. Okay, and that's not what this is. Okay, when it takes the name of the Lord in vain, what you're doing is you are attacking his character and his deeds. When he does something and you take care, credit for it, you just took the Lord's name in vain. When you blame him for something that he didn't do, you just took the Lord's name in vain. Okay, when you, I swear to God, you just took the Lord's name in vain. Okay? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, and James chapter 5, verse 12, it says, let your yes be a yes and your no be a no. You don't need to swear by the gold or the altar or the king of heaven. Okay? So when you look at promises and oaths and things like that, um, anytime you have to do that, you're taking the name of the Lord in vain. Okay, taking the name of the Lord in vain is dealing with who he is. Look at verse 8. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Keep it sanctified. Keep it set apart. Okay, the seventh day belongs to the Lord. Okay, set one aside. All right, the word sabbat means to rest or to cease from work. All right, bring into remembrance um, all of God's existence, all that he has created. I mean, the fact that you have a job, the fact that you have a talent in your job, the fact that you have the ability to do your job, the fact that you have the tools to do your job, it's all coming back on one day and you're saying, this is for God. This is for God. I'm setting this apart. It also beats the stew out of the evolutionist, whether it is, um, there are some who claim the name Christian who believe in evolution and that God created through evolution. No, he says for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. He didn't rest on the seventh billionth year. He rested on the seventh day. What is the Sabbath for? It is to remember that all that exists has one creator and you are to give him that day and that honor. And everybody says, well, why don't we celebrate it? We should. All right. But I do want to tell you something under the new economy, under the new covenant. Um, 
I don't have to set it aside. Why? Because it means to rest, to cease from your labors. What would be the implications? First and foremost would be the implication of my relationship with the Heavenly Father. I can rest from that work. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews says that I now have the Lord of the Sabbath and I have entered into his rest. Here's one that everybody seems to miss on a semi-regular basis. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or respect to festivals or new moons or Sabbath days. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come and the substance belongs to Christ. So the Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ. All right. The other thing that you have to pay attention to is the Sabbath was for who? Israel. You ain't Israel. All right. And even, even if you're Jewish today, you're not part of Israel. You're part of the church. There's only three things out there today. Three kinds of people. Jew, Gentile, and Christians. Jew and Gentiles are non-believers. And then you have believers. That's, I struggle with messianic congregations. I'm a messianic Jew. What the heck does that mean? Well, I'm a, a Jew who believes in Jesus Christ. So is Paul, but he never called himself a messianic Jew. He called himself a saint. He actually called himself a sinner saved by grace. But anyway, uh, but, but you said, I, I don't understand that. And it's, it's sort of, it's like, well, I'm more spiritual than you are. I'm Jewish. Uh, no, you're not more spiritual. You have as much Holy Spirit in you as I have in me. All right. So, uh, that, that's, that's just the, the thing that I want you to pay attention to when you read through these. What is he saying? I want a day. Why? There needs to be a time in your life when you look around and say, you know what? He did all this and he blessed me with where I'm at. There needs to be time for that. Paul says, give thanks in all things. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Why? Because your Sabbath rest, you can enter into it. All right, verse 12. Now we begin to deal with the man-to-man relationship. And it's fascinating here because it starts off with one that is just amazing to me. And I want to give you some other sides to this. But here we go. Honor your father and mother that your days will what? Be prolonged in the land which the Lord, which Yahweh your God gives you. Did you know what he just said? Children, if you want to live long, honor your parents. Well, why would he say that? That's right. Exodus chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. A rebellious child is to be put to death. They didn't have any gangbangers in Israel. You know what? They didn't have jails till the Roman Empire. Okay? God says, I will not tolerate juvenile delinquency. Period. You have a rebellious heart. I have given an order that your parents beat you with the rod. Okay? If that don't work, you take it to the elders of the city and you take the child outside and you stone that child. Why? The other kids will pay attention. I guarantee it every time. Guarantee. Did you see what they did to Mikey? Dad told me to take the trash out. I've taken the trash out of every house on the block. Okay. But you, but if you look at it, look at our country and tell me that what that is, is wrong. No, you can't tell me that. 
Why? Who created us? God did. I'm thinking he had insight. What do you think? And if a child does not honor its parents, guess what? It had a death penalty. Look at the next one. You shall not, and if it's, your says shall not kill, that's an awful translation. It's murder. You shall not murder. Okay? Um, and it literally in the Hebrew means killing intentionally. Um, um, because he's dealing with the sacredness of human life. God created us in his image. We are sacred to him. If we're not important to him, then he wouldn't have sent his son to die for us. All right. So the taking of a life had a penalty. Chapter 21, verse 12, put the murderer to death, to death. Fascinating, don't you think? First two commandments that deal with men-to-men relationship, the penalty for breaking them is death. Wow. We got just, he just don't play fair, does he? All right, here's one. You shall not commit adultery. Men and women, this, this is Leviticus, well, men and women. Um, we have a bias today that uh, I, I ain't sure what it's uh, about in... Um, if you go to the Middle East today, if a woman is caught in adultery, she can be put to death. The man will not be put to death. Uh, if a man commits adultery here, uh, he goes to prison. If a school teacher, a female school teacher does it, she gets, gets probation. I, I don't know. You know what the penalty is in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10? Put him to death. For what? For adultery. Put him to death. Why? I created marriage for expanding the population. Okay, it's also a picture of my relationship um, with the church. That's why we are called the bride of Christ. It's important. Um, the, The awfulness that you see in Genesis 20 was from adultery. The off the wicked sin it is called. Okay? Verse 15. You shall not steal. Okay? Listen, if you steal, all of a sudden you are questioning God's ability to provide. What? If you steal, you are questioning God's ability to provide. You know what the penalty for stealing is? Exodus 21, verse 16. Put them to death. Put them to death. So it does say that you're, there's nothing wrong with owning property, then, isn't it? You know, I, I hear, well, if you're truly a Christian, you have communal property. Then why would God say, don't steal? Because steal would imply... You own it. You own it. Verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 16 through 21. The penalty for false witness. Lying under oath is what it's called. Put him to death. Put him to death. You know, we had a president who did that. Lied under oath. That's awful. And everybody said, well, he didn't. Listen, he got disbarred. So he evidently did something wrong. I mean, to get lawyers to kick a lawyer out? That sounds awful, doesn't it? You got to really mess up to get get the lawyers to kick you out. But then you have verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, female servant, his ox, his donkey, uh, his Harley Davidson. No, it's not in here. Um, 
this donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. And the penalty for that is what? There ain't one. You know why? Who knows the desires of the heart? God does. Who deals with that one? God does. All right. Now, I want you to think about how this text started out. God spoke all these things. Okay, we're talking audible communications. Verse 18, all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning and the flashes and the sounds of the trumpets and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Some of the stuff that I have heard said is awful when people talk about going to heaven and seeing God and hanging out. And I listen to it and I don't hear anybody saying, I was afraid. I was very afraid. Okay? Spent two days consecrating themselves because on the third day they were going into the presence of God. When they all gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai, the whole mountaintop was shrouded with clouds and thunder and trumpets blowing and it was noisy and it was rock and roll. And then God began speaking. And the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. But look what he says. Then they said to Moses. Now this is great. (laughs) This is great. Speak to us yourself and we will listen. (laughs) But let not God speak to us or we'll die. (laughs) You know what they figured out? We got a great big gap between you and us. I mean, I'm talking serious gap. I mean, you're hanging out in clouds and lightning and, and stuff. And they had a fear of being in his presence. So, Moses, would you be a mediator for us? <laughs> And that's exactly what happened. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. And Yahweh said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. Okay. You see that same text dealt with in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 21. They wanted Moses' help. They wanted intervention between them and God because they understood the holiness of God. They understood that what was coming down was not just the opinion of a cloud. You shall not make another gods besides me, gods of silver, gods of gold, and you shall not make for yourselves. Then in verses 24, 5, and 6, I like it because I want to show you 20. I left 20 out on purpose because Moses has the right idea. Look what he says. Moses said to the people, what? Don't be afraid. For God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. may not sin. All right. He says, the reverence is good. The fear is bad. It is good to be in awe of God. But you don't have to be afraid of him. Then he says, you shall make an altar of the earth for me. You shall sacrifice on it burnt offerings and your peace offerings. So they did have some ideas of what it was to worship God. Your sheep and your oxen in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. Everywhere you see me do something, you will have an offering. 
If you make an altar of stone for me, it shall not be built of cut stones. What's he doing now? He's taking glory. Man ain't touching my glory. I want just a regular old stone altar. Because if you polish it up and if you make it nice, you'll worship it. And you'll worship the person who made the altar. All right? You should not build it with cut stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. Why? Who made the rocks? God did. You can't make them better. God did. Fine with them. You shall not go up on steps of my altar and expose your nakedness. They'd wear these big old long robes and if they got up off the ground, somebody could look up underneath their little skirts. He says, you don't do that. It'd be on the ground. Why? I made the earth. I want you on the ground. I want you touching the ground and I want it to be made this way for me. Okay? This is how you're going to worship. This is the way you will worship. In Leviticus chapters 1 through 7, he gives the mosaic sacrifices. Uh, how to do it appropriately and how the priority of them in their um, worship. I'm going to close with one thought because I, I kind of left this out intentionally. I, kinda, well, I didn't leave it out. saved it for last. Beginning at verse 12 through 17, you see God's law for man's relationship with men. Okay? Out of those, one, two, three, four, five, six, five of them have the death penalty for them. Okay? In verses 2 through 11, it's man's responsibilities towards God. It's God's law towards him. Okay? There are penalties for these if you break these. If you have multiple gods, Exodus 22, 20 and Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 15 is the penalty. You know what the penalty is for worshiping more than one God? Death. If you bow before a graven image, something that is built of creation to represent the creator. Deuteronomy chapter 27 verse 15 has the penalty. Death. If you take the Lord's name in vain. Leviticus 24, 15, and 16 has the penalty. Death. If you break the Sabbath, it had a penalty in Numbers chapter 15, verse 32 and 36. You know what the penalty for breaking the Sabbath is? Death. Do you know why the people were afraid? When God spoke, they didn't want to die. <laughs> Think about it. Why? That is a, the perception of the holiness of God. And we have lost that. Now, listen, I agree. We don't need to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid. But I am convinced that there is no reverence or awe for God right now. I very seldom do I see a reverence and an awe of God. Okay? They were freaking out to be in his presence. Let me ask you a question, Christian. When are you out of God's presence? Then why don't you have a reverence and an awe that you are in his presence? I don't understand that. I really don't understand it. It's kind of a puzzling to me. So perhaps when he shows up on the mountain with lightning and clouds and thunder and trumpets, um, some people say, 
Bummer. Uh, if you think about it, at the second coming, when all the stars have blacked out and it's sort of been a tough seven years on the planet, then the, that black will be split wide open by the light of Messiah. And the people are going to freak out. They're going to be just like the nation of Israel on Mount Sinai, at the foot of Mount Sinai. We need somebody to go up and talk to this guy. <laughs> Where's Moses when you need him? When somebody go tell him we're afraid. <laughs> so, okay, it's 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 all the same thing, man. It's the same God. It's the God of the Old Testament. It's the God of the New Testament. And and when we have to pay attention to that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for your Ten Commandments. And Father, when I go through them, I just stand in awe, understanding that so simple they are, and yet so massive they are. Um, Father, you, you created us. You knew our weaknesses before we were even conceived in our mother's wombs. You knew our temptations, our trials. You ordained our days. And Lord, uh, I don't understand. And yet, Lord, you have us here for such a time as this to draw upon the depth of your understanding, to look into the mind that spoke existence into being and to redeem a people unto yourself. Thank you, Father. Thank you. And Father, may we uh, we rest in the assurances of what you've already accomplished to your glory and praise. Amen.